Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So hello there guys and welcome back to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. I hope that you guys are doing well. First of all, massive thank you to so many of you that have chosen to support us on this show. We've been doing this podcast now for almost about three years and in that time we've had a lot of great feedback, a lot of great constructive feedback as well. It's not always been positive but we've been able to do our best and learn the lessons from many of you that have been so kind to reach out to us and help us on our journey and the reason why I'm extending my gratitude to you lovely lot is because we just passed the 900 subscriber mark 900 of you wonderful people have chosen for one reason or another to follow us on our journey and occasionally listen to us talk about formula one so we are really grateful for that and of course we're still chasing the 1000 subscribers before the start of the season it's a big ask but if you can help us get to that margin if you haven't already subscribed to the youtube channel please do we'd really appreciate that that's a huge milestone for us guys here at dnf1 we'd really appreciate your support of course if you're listening to this podcast on a podcasting platform like spotify or apple or apple uh, amazon music for example then you can support us there as well give us a five star review if you think that we are worthy it really helps us out a lot and it allows us to reach more wonderful people like yourselves to talk all things formula one and of course share our passion with you lovely lot all of the pleasantries out of the way we've got a podcast to talk about guys back again we've got Courtney Pine and Lee Wannington and in this episode we are going to be back to discuss some drivers that have something to prove in 2023 now this is something that the race did quite recently for those of you that listen to their show as well really really great stuff I recommend it very very highly and I really like the idea of the episode so I wanted to borrow that idea and share that with my panel and see if we could talk about that a little bit as well and see what drivers we feel have something to prove in 2023. Now, similar to them, this isn't us saying that these drivers had a bad 2022 or they have something to prove in 2023. In certain cases, they don't have anything to prove. But I do feel that there is some scope out there for some of these drivers to prove something in 2023 based on some stuff that may have happened last year or perhaps some new narratives or new chapters in their story that we'll, of course, be looking forward to seeing how they pan out. So, guys, of course, first of all, Courtney, good to see that you've got all your equipment sorted and you're much more comfortable with it now. Of course, many uh, avid followers of the show would have seen the transformation over the years. How are you doing, mate? You're looking good. Yeah, no, um, thank you, Adam, and uh, great intro. I um, just like to... Uh, mirror everything that you've kind of said thank you for the support and really looking forward to where this channel goes in the future but yeah doing well um looking forward to the topic in hand um as i say the the season is right around the corner so the fact that we're you know we're that close that we're able to 
look to this season and what we expect, it feels like the winter break's dragged on. So it's really good that we're finally able to get stuck into all matters F1 properly again. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And of course, before we know it, the new cars are going to be unveiled. Pre-season testing will be underway. And then before we know it, the Formula One season will be well underway. At the point of recording, it's 40 days to go. And of course, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll know that we do an F1 countdown where we put forward a fact or a piece of trivia related to each number during the countdown. I believe today was talking about George Russell's overtakes in 2022, committed 40 of them, or completed 40 of them, I should say. So uh, well done to George. And of course, we've got plenty more coming in the days ahead. Lee, joining us on the show as always, completing the panel. How are you doing, mate? You good? I'm good, thank you, uh, Adam. And yeah, it's uh, this is definitely going to be an interesting discussion that we're going to have. And I'm looking forward to seeing, hearing your opinions. Yeah, well, of course, I've tasked both of you, to give me a list of some drivers that you feel have something to prove in 2023. So without further ado, Courtney, I'm going to come to you first. Thank Who you. Who is the first driver on your list that you feel has something to prove in 2023? Go straight for the juggler, Adam, and I'm going to say Charles Leclerc. Okay, that's a that's a pretty interesting one. Um, care to elaborate on that one? I think last season uh, was an example of the potential that Charles has, but also I'd almost say the self-destructive nature he has sometimes where, you know, he's been in some good positions and he's messed it up. Sometimes he gets a little bit too emotional behind the wheel and he needs to, you know, sort of get that emotion out of his driving style. If he's going to challenge a Max Verstappen, who's just taking it to a new level every season. So, <clears throat> We look at Charles Leclerc as probably the biggest threat to Max Verstappen during his career. So he has to iron out his errors if he if he has a real intention to challenge Max in the coming years. Yeah, that's a really good shout, actually. And uh, Lee, I noticed you also had Charles Leclerc on your list. Did you want to add to what Courtney was saying or uh, perhaps give us some, another reason as why you think Charles Leclerc has something to prove in 2023? Well, I would I would expand a little bit on what Corny said about it is just changing Max, but it's also um, obviously just proving that he can be he has the material to be a world champion, and that may be obviously against other drivers as well as we as we go through the seasons and then he goes through his career. But it's one thing being a fast driver, um, but it's one thing to complete it over a season and proving that this year, even if he doesn't win the championship this year, that prove he can do it. Is something that will ease his mind. It will ease the Ferrari's mind. It will ease his manager's mind. So it's just something that he really needs to do. And secondly, I would also prove that um, he argued to prove that he needs to prove to the team he is the number one in the team. He is the one that should be backed, not his teammate. Well, this is the performance has been close between them. Uh, You could in the past, obviously not last year, but. In the past, it's been Lewis on Valtteri and Lewis has had Valtteri covered. We've got Max and Sergio. Max has Sergio covered. Obviously, I know the Mercedes dynamic has changed with George in the team. Um, and that's obviously that's going to be very interesting to see how that evolves. But Carlos and Charles are very close and there's not a clear number one to choose. Although you could argue there's a clear choice. It's not a black and white choice. And Charles needs to prove that he is the right horse. Yeah, pun intended. <laughs> well, yeah, that's rather appropriate with Ferrari. Um, yeah, I agree. I think that's a really, really good point, Lee. And, you know, when we talk about Charles Leclerc, we talk about a guy that has incredible feel for how to drive a Formula One car, incredible speed, incredible talent, a great uh, sense of sense of where the grip is, I suppose, if there's one, if I can sum it up, I suppose, in a phrase. He knows how to get the best out of the car he talked in pre-season last year about how he had to adjust his uh how he had to adjust braking how he went about braking in corners with the new cars he was able to feel that a little bit better Carlos Sainz couldn't really get up to speed with it until a little bit later in the season I think what it come down to with Charles Leclerc is you know it's one thing having the feel but if you asked him to explain how he went about that that becomes a bit of a problem and I don't necessarily think it's one of those things where Charles Leclerc 
doesn't understand how an F1 car works or he can't really set up a car properly or he just drives from the seat of his pants and hope the team works it out for him. But when you extract what is good about him and what is good about Carlos Sainz, altogether, you have a complete Formula 1 driver. You have a driver that's got the talent, the speed and the skill to get the lap time and deliver the performances. But then you also, on the other side of things, you have a driver that is capable from an operational perspective to, you know, get things done, push the boundaries a little bit, know the right time, I suppose, when to govern your team to get certain things done. And more importantly, call the shots when you have to. And I feel like with Charles Leclerc, I feel like it's a bit wrong to suggest that perhaps he's a bit too nice and that can come across as a little bit naive. But if we look at the evidence, we can look at Brazil as a great example this year. We had a guy that obviously had had a, a pretty decent season. Obviously, things went astray because of reliability and some of his own mistakes behind the wheel. But in qualifying, when Ferrari wanted to put him on the intermediate tyres, he then accepted that. He went out. It was obviously the wrong tyre choice. He should have been on the softs. He then went and did a lap anyway, when we all knew it was the wrong decision because that's what he trusted the team to do and ended up ruining his qualifying. Carlos Sainz, in the opposite side of the garage, completely disagreed with Ferrari and said, no, get me on the softs, get me down the end of the pit lane straight away. He went out and he was proven to be right in that regard. And, and you can list so many other examples. I mean, Silverstone is a prime example. Look how that race went down on strategy. It ruined the race for Leclerc. Sainz ended up saying, stopping venting, stopping venting. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm calling the shots. He ended up winning the Grand Prix. If you add those, those skills that Carlos Sainz has and that confidence and ability to call the shots behind the wheel when he has to, rather than what Leclerc was doing and trusting the team, you end up with a very handy race driver. And I think if you're going to be a world champion like Charles Leclerc, that's what you have to do. You have to tick all of those boxes, especially today when you've got the likes of Sir Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen up against you. You can't give anything away to those guys. Um, I mean, on, on that subject of Leclerc, do you feel that perhaps you trust the team a little bit too much? Should he be more... Um, not necessarily abrasive, but should he be more confident and more assertive with calling certain shots in certain situations? Or perhaps something that he did say that I remember hearing was that, well, if the team made less mistakes, I wouldn't have to worry about calling the shots and just focus on my job in which driving the car. I think the word assertive is perfect, Adam. I, I think he needs to understand that even though he's uh shall we say a child prodigy for ferrari and maybe feels like he's speaking up to you know members of the family i think maybe sometimes the boundaries are a little bit blurred for Charles compared to science who's coming from mclaren so the dynamic is very different in that sense but i suppose when you look back on the um you know fred for joining the team and the discussion that we had in that episode Obviously, the hope in Ferrari is that by Fred Fasser joining somebody who's very familiar with Charles going back many years, maybe that would give Charles Leclerc the confidence and, you know, change the dynamic it has been in management in order for him to progress as a Formula One driver. Because look, there's no doubt the talent's there. He just needs to, you know, he just needs to brush over the sort of the, the kinks in the armour, let's say, because he has the makings of a Formula One world champion, a multiple Formula One world champion. I have no doubt about that. But it is just that the boundaries it has with the management and a little bit of the emotion he has in his driving. If he irons out the creases there, I have no doubts about this guy's future. Yeah, what do you reckon, Lee? Is it as simple as Charles Leclerc suddenly being a bit more like signs and trying to call the shots in the garage? And more so, do you think it's as simple as just doing that for him? Can he do that? I agree. I don't think it's that simple. Um, it's it works both ways. It's a harmony um, that you you see with Red Bull and Max Verstappen, Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, and the trust goes both ways. And the the, the team has to trust that Charles can deliver when it comes down to it. And Charles obviously has to trust that the team can choose the right strategy. And when he feels not to, you discuss it. Yeah, you think. A, driver should just be focused on driving you hear some of the radio conversations uh, between um max and his engineer and lewis and his engineer they're having full on discussions about strategies and how the best to optimize it charles is good yep okay <laughs> and just get gets on with it and he obviously tries his best to deliver but he doesn't question it but on the same hand you don't want to go to the extreme that when sebastian drove for ferrari he was telling ferrari how to do the race and which is the complete opposite because he didn't trust the team 
and but that's not the best way to do it either so it's it is finding that harmony that you trust the team but the team also trusts you and I, so it's not just Charles has to deliver um or just go oh I'm just gonna start questioning it he also has to trust his own performance which is not that the team have to trust it and it's it's a gradual process to build that up um so it needs to require the work from the engineers that he works with and himself uh, that he builds over a season if it all goes well and it's obviously that little win that little right choice just to build that confidence and the harmony and it just it starts to snowball and that's all you need is just little wins every race and by the end of the season he obviously I'm not saying he may, he may be the champion at the end of this year but 24 if he gets those little wins he will be more complete um, for that, that following season and just as it all adds up it's a cumulative effect yeah I, I think we saw Ferrari trying to encourage Leclerc or work with him to try and improve on this throughout the season. I think towards, I don't know if it happened much at the start of the season, but as the season went on, and I think the notable example of this was in Abu Dhabi, Ferrari changing the strategy. And a lot of people sort of made fun of this, made like a bit of a meme out of this, but I kind of understand where some people were coming from when they thought this actually was quite helpful. In Ferrari recommending a strategy to Leclerc and then ending it with the word question. Basically, you know, they've got strategy options for him. They don't want to just tell him to do this. They want him to ask his opinion, think, okay, do you think this will work? Shall we do this? We want to encourage you to have the final say on a strategy. We'll come up with the numbers. We'll, you know, we'll run that. We will run the simulations. We'll run the data. We'll come up with some options of what we can do. Which one of these do you want to do? And we saw in Abu Dhabi, it it worked. It ultimately was what got him second in the Drivers' Championship in that one race where they changed him to a one-stop. And, you know, you've got to give credit to Ferrari on that one. It was a great strategy. It kind of leans into what Leclerc had asked for, where his team could make less mistakes and that he wouldn't have to be so assertive or try and run the team from the seat of the cockpit in the same way that Carlos Sainz probably does. And at the same time, it allows Leclerc to build up that confidence because it's one thing for us to say, oh, you know, this is something he needs to do in 2023 if he wants to be world champion, which I don't think is unreasonable to suggest that. But it's not as simple as just switching the light bulb on and all of a sudden he becomes like Carlos Sainz is, but with the ability of Charles Leclerc to boot. Oh, no, it's definitely not a light switch. It is, is as, as I was saying, it's, it's a team effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was... I actually thought that um, was a nice change of pace in Abu Dhabi and seeing that. And obviously, you can always, well, especially last year, you could, you could give Ferrari any option and they'll make a mess of it. But it's nice that they tried something different. If they it didn't work, at least they tried. I mean, it did, as you said, it did seem to work in that one race. So let's see uh, how they do this year. Yeah, and I think with the influence of Fred Vasseur as well, that's probably going to be quite a positive. And perhaps he will encourage that as well. I mean, I had heard that he's not necessarily got too involved in what Ferrari are doing. He's kind of just letting them carry on as they are, see where there are any issues or things to improve on. And of course, we can all agree that there are, which is encouraging. So we'll have to wait and see how that pans out. But I think that was a good one to start with, if I'm perfectly honest, on Charles Leclerc. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, Lee, this comes to you next on your list. Who did you put down as one of your drivers that has something to prove in 2023? Mm-hmm. Well, my first one on my list was uh, sort of Hamilton as the driver. <laughs> well, um, I'll be honest with you. I, I did a bit of a pseudo list myself. He was a driver that I did want to talk about. And um, I think for the benefit of the diehard to Lewis Hamilton fans that listen to this show, and we love every single one of you. And look, we're talking about a guy who who is the statistical goat of Formula One arguably for many people the greatest driver of all time 310 races 103 wins over 100 pole positions seven world championships some people will argue eight world championships um not that we're going to go down that rabbit hole again (laughs) but there's i mean in terms of having something to prove to people he has nothing to prove to anybody in this regard he could retire today and everyone said he's done it all there's nothing to prove 
But I do agree that because of how 2022 went and how things started this season, uh, last season for him and where he went on and how it finished, even though I think we all agreed that Lewis was a little bit better than George Russell over the season, George did beat him in the point standings. I think there is an element there and perhaps some fans may use that and argue, say, well, George did beat Lewis there. There is a bit of an asterisk there. Can Lewis put that put that wrong right? and beat George once and for all without that anomaly there. I'm not saying that's what we're suggesting. I think that's something that is out there. Um, But that's my opinion on it. What what do you reckon, Lee? Is that somewhere along the lines of where you were going with it? Yeah, it was sort of along those lines. Um, I I think he has to prove... Obviously, Lewis is confident in his own ability, so I'm not saying it's to prove him to himself. But it'd be nice to reassure himself, but prove to the team that he is still the, the number one. He is the fastest over one lap. He is the fastest over a race instance. Look, listen to me. Give me the best strategy. I'll bring the results, not George. And he wants to prove and deliver that. Um, and I'm, and that's, uh, that's what, as you were alluding to, is even for his own um, mental posi- um, position and where he's standing in the team, he believes he can deliver it. I'm, I have no doubt about his belief in himself. But to prove that he can do that, Um and bring those results. And I also actually think that, it, as you mentioned, he ended work the season well compared to how he started. Is to prove that he can actually start the season out of the blocks. Previous over previous seasons, Lewis is normally quite slow to start a season. He builds up as the race goes. He gets faster. He gets quicker. He makes less mistakes, and it go, just builds up as he goes through the season. He doesn't very often go out, bam, straight away, bring back the pole position, bring back. When Mercedes had the car, obviously we don't know what the cars would be like. But he he's not ever on it on the first race. It takes a couple of races for him to build up into the season. And I think he needs to prove for to be even if Mercedes aren't in the title fight, to prove that he can come out the the starting blocks at the beginning of the season and bring the best results for the team and not build up a deficit to George by the race three, four or five because he's taken that time to build up. He needs to prove that he can start the season strong, which he ha- he can do. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Um, Courtney, you didn't mention Sir Lewis Hamilton mm-hmm. on your list. Are you a little bit surprised that we brought him up? And based on what we've said, is does that kind of make sense? Or is it just simply as much as Lewis just needs to silence the minority of people that will probably look at last season and just jokingly say he's washed or mid now, he's, he hasn't got it anymore? Um, I, I agree absolutely with the uh, George Russell dynamic. Um I think we all knew that George Russell wouldn't have problems setting into Mercedes, given that he's been there for a long time. He's pretty much a part of the furniture there. Um, I'm going to be very intrigued to see how that dynamic, like the pair of you, I know you're both like intrigued like myself, and how this dynamic is going to progress going into this season. But <clears throat> if you have a look through Lewis's career, I think the two seasons that stand out to me as his worst seasons for me were 2011 and 2016 he obviously didn't he obviously hated being beaten by his teammate and if you have a look at the following season he took himself to a new level and I wouldn't be surprised to see this happen in 2023 not only for that reason I still think in 2022 it's still really what happened in Abu Dhabi I think we probably see we probably saw a more downbeat version of Lewis Hamilton still sort of licking his wounds whereas I think not only were Mercedes on a sort of recovery in 2022, I think Lewis was himself. So I think if anything, he'll relish the challenge that comes with George Russell and obviously trying to get the better of Red Bull. I, I just think there's a, a big revenge arc for Lewis. I know that sounds like a bit of uh, a trigger. This isn't me throwing shade at Red Bull, but I know that Lewis will definitely feel a, a sense of redemption from what happened in 2021 if he has the right car this season. And I agree with you on this one because I'm glad you brought that up because I do feel with Sir Lewis Hamilton and this kind of ties into why I agreed with Lee that perhaps he does have something to prove in 2023, not necessarily to us, but perhaps maybe more for himself mm-hmm. and F1 as a whole. There is unfinished business there. 2022 for me was not as extreme as this, but it did remind me of Michael Schumacher in the 2005 Ferrari. You know, he he was the world champion, all right. You know, Lewis was robbed in Abu Dhabi. We all know this. We don't have to go over this again. He probably should have been the world champion coming into 2022. 
but he was in a Mercedes that was nowhere near good enough to win a Grand Prix, let alone win a world championship. Eventually, he did win one as it improved throughout the course of the season, not even in Lewis's hands, which obviously may have stung a little bit more. But like that 2005 season, the, the challenge was completely nowhere. And we had to try, and at the time, we had to try and find some positives to try and say, well, you know, Schumacher's doing okay, but the car is terrible. In the same way we were talking about Sir Lewis in this regard. And, you know, in 2006, when Fernando Alonso was the defending champion and he had that battle with Schumacher, look, I might be a Schumacher fanboy, I don't care. I thought Schumacher was better than Alonso that season. I think if it wasn't for reliability issues, Schumacher would have been an eight-time world champion. That's my opinion. doesn't necessarily have to be one that you agree with, guys, if you're listening. But that's how I felt about it. We didn't get that final part to that battle between them because Schumacher retired the first time. I think if he was in the 2007 Ferrari, we might have got a different story or a different ending for that particular battle between him and Alonso. There's a very similar hallmark to this with Sir Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. You know, in 2021, we had that incredible battle between the two, which, you know, for one reason or another, Max Verstappen managed to get across the line and was world champion. Last season, there was no contest from Sir Lewis Hamilton. He just simply didn't have the machinery. You can't hold that against him. That's just the fact. And, you know, no matter who was in that car, it wouldn't have made a blind bit of difference. If they'd swapped cars, Sir Lewis would have run away with it. Max would have been... In, in a midfield car for most of the season until eventually it came good towards the end. This season, however, with the hope that the equipment is going to be there, and I sincerely hope that it is, we may get some level of closure to this battle between the two of them. We may get an opportunity for Sir Lewis Hamilton, as you said, Courtney, to have a redemption arc, um, you know, finish off that unfinished business. And perhaps Daddy, that's all it is. You know, if he wins in 2023 he gets that eighth world title he can ride off into the sunset and say look I've done it all now that's it I've got that eighth world title nothing else is questioned I can retire happy he obviously wants to stick around for a little bit longer there's been a lot of talk regarding a potential contract extension for 2025 so obviously he wants to continue with these new challenges against these new opponents add further chapters to an already incredible story so that's kind of where my head is that and that's why I agree strongly with what you said on that regard um, to Lewis Hamilton having unfinished business there. And Lee, that's also why I agree perhaps why Lewis in a way perhaps may feel that he has some something to prove for 2023. Not necessarily to us or to the larger F1 fan base, but just so that you still don't have people that look at his legacy and say, oh, we'll look at him in 2022, completely washed up. Oh, the car's an excuse, but George Russell beat him. You know, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I, I think it's more uh, for him than anybody else and yeah, because he's already as you said at the beginning of the bit on segment on Lewis is he's already proved himself he's the Sicily grace of all time so it is all down to him but it's still a point to approve yeah absolutely agree um Courtney who mm-hmm. is next on your list so the next one is a uh, slightly random but it's something I've been sort of keeping an eye on and it is a situation with Valtteri Bottas. Okay. Um, interesting one. Interesting one. What made you pick him? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I, I just got the feeling from Valtteri, you know, he started off well. Um, he started off well in the Alfa Romeo. And obviously, we, we know that Alfa just loved the fat line, flat line during the course of a season. And it, it seemed like Valtteri was on the beach by the time we got to like the America's part of the season. And I, I just think the dynamic with, you know, Joe Granu with the, the Chinese audience does give him a sense of stability, given that he's also started well with the team. With the changes coming in with Aldi, I just feel that one low six is going to be, you know, is going to be sort of up for grabs because Aldi might want to bring in somebody new, somebody that sort of aligns with their values. And I just feel that if Valtteri Bottas has a scruffy season and Zhou Guan Yu continues to be a reliable asset to the team, he could be one of the drivers that could be in danger of losing his seat. That's an interesting point. Um, I, I didn't really consider Valtteri Bottas as a driver with something to prove in 2023. I think he kind of proved a lot in 2022 at the early part of the season. But I do agree, as the car was starting to fall down the order and it wasn't really improving... It did feel a little bit like Valtteri had decided to just dial it in for the summer and just call it a day. 
until, of course, he really had to up his game towards the end of the season to maintain P6 in the constructors for Alfa Romeo, which ultimately they did, uh, as Aston Martin weren't able to catch them up enough. Um, Lee, what are your thoughts on this? Do you agree that Bottas is a driver with something to prove in 2023? Um, I do and I don't. Um, so that's a bit of a contradictory answer, I know. <laughs> um, I I don't believe he has something to prove because, as you mentioned, I think he proved enough uh, last year about how he came in and he led that team, a new team, might add, not a team they had been in before. Um, so I think he's proved. But I do get Cody's point about the, the question about the seats going forward obviously, obviously long term um, this has been the last year of Alfa Romero's sponsorship on the team um, obviously the investment of Audi starts to trickle into the team and they all start to have some minor say which will grow over the years until the full-fledged takeover of the team so there is that Valtteri needs to prove that he's the be their team leader he doesn't want to be replaced obviously the the reassuring thing at the moment is there isn't a really good German driver on the the grid because otherwise Audi would be looking at a nicer placement. They've not made it hidden their secret of having a making their true German team because they don't consider Mercedes with their two British drivers a a German team. Um, obviously, inter-German rivalry between the German manufacturers um, already building before they even started on the grid. Um, but the I, I do think Valtteri will need to come and prove that he can can, can maintain speed, maintain, um, oh, not stamina, that's the wrong word, maintain focus, that's better, maintain focus throughout the season that he doesn't switch off. Because I do agree with both of you. I think he switched off in the summer. He's like, we've got a nice comfy lead. The other driver teams aren't near us. I'm finishing 11th. Uh, well, when's the season finish? And then it's like, oh, right. They've really caught up. <laughs> I can't go on holiday yet. Oh, I've got, I got to work a bit more. Um, so he's, yeah, I do feel his focus switched off. Um, and so I think that's the real point is that he can keep that focus throughout the season. Because you think even in his Mercedes days, he was really trying to beat Lewis at the beginning of the season. Lewis come back at him and then Valtteri just disappeared as into the third quarter mm-hmm. of the season. And it just repeated again, even with Alfa Romero and he didn't have uh, Lewis as his teammate. I mean, from what I understand, Valtteri still has at least another two years with the team. I know he talked about the possibility of extending to go on a little bit further. Do you feel that with this transition that Alfa Romeo are going to be going through over the next few years before it eventually becomes Audi in 2026, do they have a responsibility to make sure that they maintain a certain level of performance to get the best out of Valtteri Bottas? Or do you feel that it's more likely that they're just having him there just to see them through this transition. And, and when they've got the Audi programme in full pledge, they'll be looking beyond Valtteri Bottas, who will probably be, what, he's 35, 36 by then, probably a little bit older, maybe. Well, yeah, that's certainly something that both the driver and the team will be considering. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you sort of mentioned the age element to it, because let's not forget that with this transition happening with um, Alfa Romeo, they might be keen to push through their main sort of youth asset, who is Teo Porcher. Let's not forget about Teo Porcher. You know, he didn't have the best of seasons last season, but I remember in 2021, we were both sort of like amazed by what, you know, this young lad was achieving. So if he sort of picks himself up next season and sets the world alight in F2, which we cannot rule out, that is going to start putting even more pressure on one low seat to Alfa Romeo. Obviously, Joe Guan Yu isn't completely safe, but I just feel that Chinese audience and you know and revenue that he brings with him does give him sort of a level of stability within that team if he continues to perform at that steady level that he did last season. Let's move on to the next driver in Lee's list. Uh, Lee, who else made your list? Yuki Tsunoda. This is a driver, yeah, that I also had on my pseudo mm-hmm. list, if you like. Courtney, you're nodding your head. I think you had him on your yep. list as well. Um, Lee, I'm going to let you start on this one because Yuki Tsunoda is a driver that, in my opinion, it could either go one way or the other with him. I think the range or the scope for how Yuki's 2023 will go is probably larger than anybody else's purely because we just don't know how it's going to go with him. I mean, what made you put him on your list? Uh 
for me, what uh, it was mainly down to, it wasn't completely his fault because obviously Pierre suffered as well. The car was terrible last year. So I'm just going to get that out of the way. That there was no spectacular performance between the teammates. They were very, both of them were very poor last season. Um, but as I said, that, that was the car as well. But it's, for Yuki, he's never, he's, since he's joined the sport, he may have had an amazing few laps or maybe all oh, that race was really, but he's never proven that he deserves his spot on the grid or um, or spot on the team for me. If, the, if you look back to Red Bull Junior program 10 years ago, where they had they had junior drivers coming out of every hole in the team, they couldn't find enough seats anywhere. But now it's sort of a dry patch. If they had that um, all these young drivers that they had 10 years ago, I don't think Yuki would be in the, the team right now. He would have been dropped straight away and you've had another two drivers been in his seat since because they would have fired half season, half season, got rid of them, you know, how they, um, Toro Rosso used to be in the like Jamie Aguashwari days and things like that. And um, that's the only driver that came to my <laughs> top of my head. Well, Brendan, <laughs> Brendan Hartley's probably yeah, there you go, in the same boat. <clears throat> yeah, same sort of thing. Um, so the fact that he's lasted this long, I think he's only out of, they don't have many other options, which is no disrespect to his um, talent to speak because he's clearly deserve, he's still a top driver in the world to be in that category of sport yeah so I don't want to take that away from him from the achievement um, but to keep his a seat going forward especially as Red Bull are starting to develop their stable of young drivers again he needs to prove to Red Bull that he deserves to be in the sport he deserves his seat um, he it's proved that he can beat his new teammate who is all right, new to Formula One, but is an experienced driver in other categories, the Formula E world champion. Yes, it's a different category, but he's still a reigning world champion. Um, so to do that is something that he's got so many things to prove in being his teammate. And it's, this could be his last season if it goes bad. Um, so it could be by Yuki, as you said, Adam. It could go break because Yuki does that. He yo-yos a lot. Um, but he needs to stabilise. And that's another thing he needs to prove is he can consistently perform across the season. Um, so there's multiple facets that he needs to prove throughout the this year. Yeah, I mean, what do you reckon, Courtney? Because as we said already, you know, Yuki Sonoda, it could go either way with him. He's a driver who, you know, we know he's got pace. We know he's got the speed. But putting it all together across a whole race weekend and getting rid of the mistakes is something that Yuki is not necessarily found to be rather straightforward. And I think we saw a lot of this last mm -hmm. season where Gasly was a guy that we all said was underperforming or not quite at the level he should be. But then Yuki Tsunoda, you know, one day he'd be like half a tenth off him or on the pace with him. Another weekend he's, you know, driving off the circuit or worse, crashing into him like we saw at Silverstone with the two of them together. No, I completely agree with the points a pair of you have made. I think the the the, the situation with Yuki is, you know, he was obviously a rookie a couple of seasons ago, but he's now been in F1 for like two seasons. It's going to be his third season. I think he's running out of time in that sense. You know, if you've got a young driver coming in, there's always that sense. Look, give him time to settle in. He's been in the team for two seasons now. The pressure's going to build, and I'm, um, you know, I'm glad you raised the Nick De Vries um, situation as well. Let's not forget that Nick De Vries drove half the grid last season. It felt, and he did a good job in every single car that he drove. He's won the F2 title. He's done it in the uh, in Formula E as well. So it just shows that Nick De Vries is a very adaptable driver, and he seems to, as I say, do a very solid job wherever he goes. So you just expect him to fit into that team nicely. So. Again, with this Red Bull, you know, with the young drivers coming through, it's got, it's always a seat that's sort of under pressure. And if we see Nick DeVries, you know, go into the team the way we expect him to, all eyes will be on Sonoda. Yeah, it's a bit lose-lose for Yuki Sonoda in, in this regard for 2023 because, you know, if he beats Nick DeVries, people are just going to say, well, you know, he should beat Nick DeVries. Nick DeVries is not as experienced as he is in a Formula One car, despite, as you said, Courtney, that Nick DeVries has driven half of them on the current grid right now. You know, he's still, technically speaking, a rookie in that regard. He's only competed in one full F1 race. And, you know, the expectation will be that Yuki should have the measure of him over the course of the season. If Yuki loses 
to Nick DeVries over the course of the season, then surely that's the the last hurrah for him. You know, he's not going to be able to justify staying in that seat for another season. With drivers like Liam Lawson, even Alex Albon, I don't think the Alex Albon Red Bull story is quite finished yet, despite the fact that he's technically not on their books anymore at Williams. I, I still feel that there's a lot of love there and that if an opportunity presents itself, then he will certainly find his way there. And... I suppose you have to compare this to what was happening with Carlos Sainz back in Toro Rosso many years ago. I mean, there was a few seat he was there for a few seasons. He had to manufacture his way out of the team because um, he weren't recognised in his performances. With Yuki Tsunoda, I suppose there is an element of that, but unlike Carlos, he has to demonstrate that he can do it. If Yuki Tsunoda beats Nick DeVries more often than not in qualifying and in the race and has a relatively comfortable margin over him, then yeah, fair enough. That's been a good season for Tsunoda. So, there's a lot for him to prove there. I think he can do it. I certainly believe that he can put it all together. But I think that is going to be the thing that everybody looks at with him this season and say, look, you know, we know he's got the speed. It's a bit similar to Mick Schumacher. You know, there are days when he's very, very quick, but then there are days when he's not putting it together or making mistakes or crashing. And we all saw what happened to Mick in that situation. And I'm pretty certain that it could happen to Yuki as well. Um, let's move on to another driver, Courtney who else did you put on your list? Carlos Sainz. Okay, interesting. So yeah. we talked about Carlos a little bit earlier, but uh, why do you think he needs to prove himself in 2023? And, and of course, Lee, you put this on your list as well. So I'd be intrigued to get your thoughts as well for this one. I think if both Carlos and Ferrari are to succeed this season, I do feel they'll take steps forwards and challenge Red Bull. I think if they want to beat Red Bull in a Constructors' Championship, Carlos Sainz has to get these errors out of his game. He, does, he did seem to settle in at Ferrari, but he started off particularly, you know, fairly badly. And we know, we discussed it earlier on, we know that Carlos Sainz is really good with strategy and making the calls when they matter. I just feel the big error of his game, which he needs to improve, is just cutting out those silly errors because that could cost both... Carlos himself and the team in the tight championship battle. And also, if you're coming, if you have a teammate like Charles Leclerc, who we know has that, you know, the stardust element to him, can pull out these amazing performances out of nowhere, Carlos will have to be a lot more consistent and drive more the way he did towards the latter end of 2022. What do you have to say on Carlos Sainz, Lee? Why did you put him in your list? Well, I. For me, with Carlos, is I'll start off with the obvious one. Uh, like I said, with Charles, is he needs to prove that he's the number one driver in the team, and he's the horse that should be backed. Um, pun intended again. But um, because they, they they are as a touch with the Charles, is they are very close in um, in performance and what they can deliver to the team. So it's a very close inter team um, teammate rivalry. Um, and one of them will come out on top and one of them will lose. So until that's established, it's going to be um, obviously proving who is the better one within the team. Um, and for for Carlos, he needs to prove that, as Courtney already mentioned, is reducing the mistakes, limiting the mistakes. Um, he also will need to prove that he can close the, the gap to Charles. I'm not going to uh, say that Carlos is faster than Charles, for more often than not, he's not. But if he can close the gap and prove to Ferrari that he can close the gap, because Carlos already knows he can um, deliver better strategies. Ferrari already know he can deliver better strategies. So if he can prove that he can close the gap in performance, give me the better, give me a better strategy. I'll make it work. Um, I mean, you, you just have to look at Fernando Alonso, who may not be the fastest, and probably never, uh, never been one of Fernando's. Strong points of being the outright fastest, but he will make it work. He will be tenacious and just do it. And that's what Carlos is. Uh, you can close the gap. I can beat Charles and I can just do it. And that's what he needs to prove is that he can do it. He can be the world champion for Ferrari. And, and that's what he needs to prove to the team and obviously prove to fans because, as Courtney just mentioned, um, Charles being the uh, Formula One champion in the future. Carlos gets overlooked, so he needs to prove mm. to fans that I'm the Formula One world champion in the future, not Charles. Charles just crashes and doesn't know what to do properly. F support me. I'm the, the, the Ferrari champion. Um, 
I'm the next Spanish world champion as much as uh, Fernando will uh, <laughs> like to disagree with that dream. So for me, I think there's several points that Carlos needs to prove um, this year. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I have that dynamic between Leclerc and Carlos Sainz where you, you have one driver who's very, very quick, has the measure on his teammate in terms of pace and perhaps outright skill and feel of a Formula One car, or particularly this Ferrari. And you have the other driver who, you know, is still very, very quick, not as quick as the other one, but is a little bit better on an operational perspective and is better at calling strategy or making the right decisions when they have to and taking that responsibility. One, you could argue, could be taught those things. The other one can't necessarily be taught to be a little bit quicker. That's something they have to find that out on them by themselves. I mean, this is elite sport we're talking about. There's only so much that you can teach them. And given the dynamic that Ferrari are going with the new team principle there, and obviously the the certain, uh, how would you put it, the expectations that people have, have put on Ferrari for what's going to happen now with this new leadership strategy. Some people will probably imagine that Carlos Sainz may be overlooked, as you said, Lee. It, he could become a driver that could not necessarily be surplus to requirements, but if he's not able to demonstrate that he can keep up with Leclerc, once Leclerc gets a little bit more comfortable with doing those other things that we talked about earlier that could potentially make him a world champion versus what he currently is right now, it's very easy to look at signs and think, okay, well, you know, we need something to do a little bit more. I mean, you look at the way the season went and perhaps Perez at Red Bull is in a similar boat here, but perhaps to a more extreme degree than what signs is at Ferrari. You know, you've got that gap to the other driver in your team who's leading the charge. If you don't close that gap up, Last year, in Perez's case, I suppose, it was just Leclerc that was in between him and Verstappen. Next season, a similar gap or deficit to your teammate is now going to include both Ferraris and both Mercedes. That becomes an even bigger problem. And like Sergio Perez, Carlos Sainz is in a position where that problem also exists for him. You know, Ferrari, you know, we've heard rumours and people saying at Marinella that Ferrari are going to be up there. They're going to have another competitive car, you know all this one second stuff. We don't know. We'll have to wait and see, but it does sound encouraging. I'm sure all the big teams are doing the same sort of thing right now. So they hopefully they're all even by the time we get going. But as I said, if you've got that deficit to your lead driver, everybody else in your competition is going to fit right in between that. And you're going to be at the other end of it. And there are other drivers out there that may be looking in thinking there might be an opportunity there, not necessarily right now, but there is an opportunity for me to sort of squeeze my way into the picture and then all of a sudden, Carlos Sainz is struggling to hold on to his seat. I certainly don't think that's going to be the case, but I certainly understand why he may have a point to prove, um, at least for his own sake, at least, uh, given how last season started for him. And of course, you know, he was a bit of an afterthought for a while until he won uh, at Silverstone, for example. Um, I'm going to move this along. Courtney, um, mm -hmm. you had another driver on your list. Yeah, Pierre Gasly. I like this one. I, I think this is going to be a good one. Uh, why has Pierre Gasly made your list, Courtney? I think we can all agree that last season was probably one of Pierre's worst. And going into uh, the Alpine setup, obviously a French team with a fellow French driver who he has a lot of history with. Obviously, the team are going to play that down. But I think if Pierre performs at the level that he performed at last season, we know the car was poor. But if Pierre performs at at a similar poor level as he did last season, I think he's going to find himself in a lot of bother with this Ocon situation because we all know that Ocon would love to rub it in um, Pierre's face. We saw him do it with Alonso and we all know that was down to Alonso's reliability. So if Pierre starts badly in that team, you know that Ocon will be on the wind-up and that will just sort of push um, Pierre down. And we've seen the way that he struggled mentally in the past at Red Bull. And, and on an emotional level, I don't want to see that happen to him. Yeah, last season, it was very easy for us to say that Pierre Gasly kind of checked out. You know, he was still better than his teammate for the majority of the season, and I think everyone kind of expected that. But given how poor Alpha Tauri were, it's no surprise that Pierre Gasly on some occasions wasn't really feeling or he wasn't able to give his absolute most. As I said already, he looked like he checked out for some part of 2022. The year before, and even the year before that, there were times when he was fighting the Ferraris and the McLarens for potential podiums, and he even got a race win 
as well to boot in Monza a couple of years ago. So, you, you know, you take all of that into account and you've got a driver going into 2023 in a new team, a new environment. He's got the promotion that he's wanted since that demotion at Red Bull. I still feel there's a lot for him to prove. I think in that environment at Alpha Tauri, he was able to learn a lot, rebuild his confidence, rebuild that character, improve as a driver. I think we all saw that. We now t- need to see the evidence of that complete finished article at Alpine and potentially put himself in the frame for an even bigger seat in the future if he's up to it. And he's going to be up against someone like Esteban Ocon. As you said, Courtney, has established himself in that team, considers himself the outright number one driver now after Fernando Alonso has left the team. You know, will still feel even more confident beating Fernando Alonso, despite the obvious mitigating circumstances that we've already talked about plenty of times already. So there's a lot for Pierre Gasly to do there. And there's obviously the risk that if he's not able to live up to that level of Ocon as a minimum and go on from that, people are going to start doubting whether or not he's just a decent Grand Prix driver or something more than that, which I'm sure he feels that he is. Lee, you obviously didn't put Gasly on your list, but what are your thoughts on Gasly for 2023? Do you feel he has something to prove? Um, I, I agree with the points you both have made. I think he, he has to prove that He's not a number two driver. He's, I think the performance between the two would be too close to argue for an hour at number one. But he has to prove that they should be considered equals within the team. Um, as you already alluded to, Esteban is already considered the, the number one driver now. Um, and Esteban, as Courtney already mentioned, likes a good wind-up. So even in the first few races into the season, I could already imagine Esteban winding up here that, Oh, I've beaten you in the first couple of races. Uh, this welcome to my team. And they just start, he'll just start straight away in that first race. He'll just start turning little digs. Yeah, he'll just start turning it. And he'll, so Pierre will need to come out of the block and prove that he's equal teammates um, and not just going to be uh, Esteban's uh, number two driver in, in the team and prove that obviously if Alpine are in a position to win a race again, um, that he's, the driver to become a multiple race winner and not Esteban because um, obviously they're both won only one race so it's uh, be establishing his position in that team and that's I completely agree is the the thing he really needs to prove um, and it's going to be a, joyous, a juicy thing to watch <laughs> very much so let's move on to the final driver in your list Lee who are we going to be talking about next Nico Hulkenberg okay I like the logic behind this. I think Nico Hulkenberg does have something to prove in 2023. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, there's a couple of points that where I think he needs to prove. Firstly, he needs to prove he's not just a super sub. He's a, a driver for the season. Because uh, obviously over the last few seasons through COVID, Nico, one way or another, was the super sub to go for for quite a few teams across the grid. Uh, driver's sick. I'll just get Nico in. He'll just do a solid job. He won't crash. He'll bring the points. Lovely jubbly. A uh, bit of Del Boy there, sorry. Um, so it's just to prove that he can actually perform over a season. Um, obviously, he did lose his seat um, at Renault because he didn't perform over the season in Renault's eyes. Uh, so uh, that'd be a strong thing to prove that he can perform over the season. Um, obviously, for Haas is to prove that he won't crash the car and cost the team money that can be put towards development. So that's something else to prove. Because obviously I, I do remember in Hockingheim when he, he was running in a podium position, he slid off and crashed the car on his Renault. So he Nico does do those mistakes, but he has to prove that he won't do those mistakes to the team. He also has to prove as a driver returning from leaving the sport, he never officially retired, but leaving the sport like Kevin Magnussen, Fernando Alonso, he can still race um, and not just be a washed up has been that never was. Because I don't mean the nicest thing to any Nico fans is he was a very good midfield driver, an odd pole position, but he never delivered anything that his potential had when he joined Williams and we saw him light up um, in Brazil with that pole position. He, he never delivered on that. Um, so to prove that he still got it as a, at least a good midfield driver um, and deserves his space on the grid. And there's so much for him to prove in all those different baskets for me that um, obviously the, the wishful one would be to prove they can get a podium. 
But let's wait and see <laughs> on that one. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, with all due respect to us, unless something crazy happens, we're not expecting Nico no. Hulkenberg to come back and then us thinking, well, he's got to get that elusive podium. That oh, no, I'd say that was my wishful thing. Oh, no, of course, of course it is. I mean, in a crazy race, you never know. I mean, it would be it would be Formula One for that to happen, you know, have a Monza or a Hungary from, uh, 20, what was it, 2020, uh, 2021 Monza? Yes, uh, 2021, use my marbles here, 2021 Hungary. <laughs> 2020 Monza we're on the right track now okay no pun intended um but no you're you're right Lee I don't think many of us are expecting Hulkenberg to all of a sudden be a regular point scorer or anything crazy like that you know this is kind of a bonus for him in his F1 career this is the first time he's going to have a full-time seat since 2019 and the obvious question that a lot of us are going to be asking does Hulkenberg still have the pace because Haas for one reason or another, and I totally understand it, they decided to not sacrifice, but give up nurturing further a young driver with a lot of potential and occasionally was able to provide the goods in Mick Schumacher, but not necessarily consistently enough for their liking. And I think that's a fair point. But they've sacrificed that and given that up for a driver that we know has a track record of being able to deliver what is expected of him to be consistent, to not rack up a hefty repair bill and is a solid mid uh, mid table driver. And in some cases can be challenging some of the top teams in the right machinery. I think for Hulkenberg, the question is going to be, does he still have what it takes? I'm pretty certain Gunther Steiner would have done his research on this. He would have looked through and asked all the right questions and assessed it all up to come to the, um, conclusion that Hulkenberg is still quick enough to compete in Formula One. And this is elite level sport. You know, whether you like it or not, that's what it's all about. If you're not quick enough, you're going to be put to the wayside. The next guy in line is going to come in and take your seat. And that's kind of what's happened here with Mick Schumacher and Nico Hulkenberg. I think for me, what I would like to see Hulkenberg prove to us in 2023 is not necessarily is he quick enough. I think he will be. I think he'll be fine in that regard. In the same way Magnussen was to a degree, he came back and that's going to be a great dynamic as well with them too because they'll obviously be against each other in a similar position to a degree. But at 35, I think Nico Hulkenberg is going to have to prove to us that this season in particular, with Haas oscillating in performance one week to another, um, their peaks tend to be earlier in the season and obviously we'll see how they go on development. But on weekends where Haas are nowhere to be seen and their performance is lacking... Is Hulkenberg just going to dial it in, throw throw in the towel and not bother? Or are we going to see him try and drag that car into something um, that Haas will be celebrating about afterwards? Similar to what Magnussen did in Bahrain or that pole position in Brazil or even when Schumacher got a couple of points at Silverstone, for example. You know, performances like that. That's what I want to see from Hulkenberg because he kind of has nothing to lose in this regard. You know, he doesn't have to go crazy and try and put together an incredible performance if Haas are lacking um, he can just, you know, go about it, do his business and then come home, don't crash the car and you're fine, pick up your paycheck. This is a bonus for him. I don't think he's under any illusions that he's going to be trying to win himself a seat at Mercedes or Red Bull or Ferrari or McLaren in the near future. I think this is kind of it for Hulkenberg. Have some fun, enjoy yourself, do well. And then once it's over, it's over. On to the next thing. Um, but we'll see. Courtney, mm-hmm. anything you want to add, add on Hulkenberg uh, in terms of what you feel he might need to prove in 2023? No, I was going to say exactly what you just said about the team that he's driving for. It'd be one thing if he was going you know, to a front runner or maybe a team that was hoping to break through the barrier. Like, I don't know, maybe like an Aston Martin or a McLaren. You know, the, the pressure at Haas is a lot lower. You said it word for word. That's exactly what I was going to say. If he keeps the car on track, keeps the repair bill down and puts in those solid performances that we know that he's capable of, then... He's done the job for Haas, but the age thing is the part where, you know, I agree with Lee's mention, like Lee mentioned him, Hulkenberg on the list in the first place, is the age thing. This is his last chance, but he knows that. But I think that's the big question mark, isn't it? Is if, if this doesn't work out for him at Haas, that will be it for Hulkenberg's F1 career. Yeah, it seems to be that way. And of course, there will be pressure on him to deliver sooner rather than later, purely and simply because of what Haas gave up to give Hulkenberg this opportunity. And they obviously went with that decision because they thought it was the best thing for them going forward. We'll have to wait and see if that proves to be the case. 
one more driver I did want to talk about as a driver that has something to prove. And and I I say this loosely because personally, I don't necessarily feel that he has something to prove for the reasons where some people may look unfavorably at him and the infamy in which he's got his F1 seat. But I think Oscar Piastri is a driver that does have something to prove. And the reason why I mention him is not necessarily because of the fact that he's a rookie in his rookie season. He's driving for a big team like McLaren. He's going to be up against someone like Lando Norris, who I think we'd all agree in the right machinery is more than capable of challenging for a world championship. May not necessarily be this season, but certainly one for the future in that regard. But more because of them in the manner in which he got his F1 seat. And I think there's been a misconception about Piastri or an unfair perception of him where people look at him unfavorably almost say he has to prove himself now because he's in he's got what he's wanted because of the way he left Alpine I think we need to be clear about this and you know regarding his former employers it wasn't Piastri's fault that he was driven out of Alpine Alpine drove Piastri out of that team they had a contract they had certain conditions which they didn't meet for him in terms of his development and that allowed him the opportunity to seek an opportunity at McLaren. Now, of course, some people will look unfavorably at him and say, well, you know, he part of that led to Daniel Ricciardo losing his seat. I think the writing was almost on the wall for Ricciardo anyway. It was just a case of finding an adequate replacement. Piastri pops up. You've got an opportunity to get someone in there. But I do feel that he has been unfairly perceived as someone that could be a bit uh, of a troublemaker or someone that feels that they're a little bit better than what they that what they were and given the junior career that Oscar Piastri has enjoyed I can imagine that there's going to be a lot of expectation for him I do feel that this is a great opportunity for him to prove himself I just really hope it's one of those where people just won't judge him so harshly before he's even turned the wheel I mean this guy's not even had a Friday practice session and yet some of the things Alpine was saying about him like Otmar Schaffner and some of his other former employers almost like I don't know who you're trying to convince here, guys. It's your fault that you lost him. It's not, he didn't try to sabotage this seat to go to McLaren, um, you know, or try to run away for something better. You just didn't give him what he wanted and he decided to manage his own career. And to be fair, I applaud him for that. Um, I mean, what do you guys make of this situation with Piastri? Do you feel that he has to prove that to the F1 fan base and perhaps those that probably look at him quite infamously before even turning a wheel? I think the thing for Piastri is he just needs to do He's talking on the track and avoid incident. I think avoiding incident is probably uh, the best bit of advice that I could give him if he was, for whatever reason, wanting to listen to a city farmer about F1 driving. But I think we all know that the F1 fan base loves a pantomime villain. So if, hypothetically speaking, I don't know, Oscar was to get himself into a war with words with Lando Norris or getting himself tangled up with other drivers. He could quickly become a pantomime villain. We know how, at times, disgusting, particularly the online fan base can be. And before you know it, he's got all of that on top of him. I don't expect this to happen, by the way. But he just needs to keep himself out of trouble, do his talking on the track. I just think that Piastri needs a quiet start. He needs a humble beginning in F1, because you're right, people that don't know him, you know, for what he's done in junior categories, or, you know, listen to, you know, previous interviews with him and have the slightest inkling of how he is as a person, could be given the wrong impression of him, given the circumstances that he left Alpine. So I completely agree with what you're saying there, Adam. What about you, Lee? Um, I mean, because at the start of the season, I think a lot of people are going to look at Piastri and say, well, if he's not performing anywhere near the level McLaren hope for in the short term, that it may look more unfavourably of him saying, oh, well, this is what happens when you try and, for the lack of a better way of putting it, screw your former employers, really. You get what's coming to you. Well, as I've said before in a previous episode, I think there will be certain periods that McLaren will accept certain level of performance. Um, but I, I, the the only thing I think he has to prove is he can be within a specific um, distance or point margin of lap time of Lando, and I think McLaren would be happy for over the season. I don't think personally, I don't think he has anything to prove to the fan base. Although there are some malicious stories already going around, um, as long as he, has, as Corny said, has a clean season, I don't think he has much more to prove than that. Obviously, if he fails that, then obviously it's going to be a big question for next year. 
And the one thing we do know is he doesn't, he's already going to be the best Australian on the grid. So he's already got that um, covered. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it just, all he has to also so avoid any clashing with Alpines because uh, you can just imagine the first race and there's a collision between Esteban and um, Oscar and both cars at Arc and just imagine the fallout after <laughs> the race of Otmar and um, oh, just insulting um, him on after the great. So yeah, it's going to be <laughs> just avoid the Alpines. <laughs> yeah, that's very, very true. Um, as, as I said, I'm not trying to say this to suggest Alpine are going to throw smoke his way or poke fun at him every time he makes a mistake. But it's one of those where, you know, hopefully the talent shines through and I am absolutely convinced that he's going to cope with this fine. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does. I just feel that even though he does have something to prove, I think it's just come from a very unfortunate place where some people may look unfavourably at him in the manner in which he got this seat at McLaren. And, you know, that was created for, owing to circumstances, which I think anyone else in that position probably would have done the same thing or at least looked to have done the same thing. And I think that's a testament to his character. And I certainly hope that he does prove not only to us, but also to himself that this is exactly where he belongs. And I really hope that he gives Lando Norris a good matchup in 2023 because he certainly has that potential. But of course, we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I think that's all we've got time for on this one, guys. I know there's plenty of other drivers we could talk about, but guys, in the comment section, if you're watching this on YouTube, let us know which other drivers you feel have something to prove for 2023. And also, let us know what you thought about the drivers we discussed in this episode. Of course, there's plenty to look forward to in 2023. And of course, we've got our predictions episode coming up very, very soon. But if you have liked this episode, make sure to give it a like and consider subscribing to the channel. We are chasing 1,000 subscribers. We've just gone past 900. Please help us out. We're almost to that horizon, that target that we have set for ourselves. You can help us get there. Of course, if you are listening to us on, on your favorite podcasting platform, you can support us there. Give us a five-star review. We'll give you a shout-out on the next episode. But until then, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Please stay safe, and we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. And remember, as always, if you're not first, you're probably DNF1. Take care. See you soon. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.